Well, hello, everyone. This is Jessica. And this is Caitlin. And this is the Calling All Spirits podcast. How are you, Caitlin? I, listeners have probably already noticed, I have a little bit of a weak voice right now. Um, I've been sick for a couple of days, but I am on the mend and I'm super excited to be back recording with you. I've missed this so much. I know. I, I have too. Like, it was so fun setting up my equipment. I kind of had to remember how we do this. Like, how does it all work? <laughs> oh my gosh. I think I'm still paranoid. I'm like, do I have everything plugged in right? Is everything recording right? I mean, you saw me fighting with my recording equipment. It's been so long the computer decided that my microphone was going to be my speaker. So, like, the computer forgot how to do this, I forgot how to do this, you forgot how to do this. <laughs> it's been a learning episode for everyone. <laughs> and we did an interview for our learning episode, because we are bold. We're just We kidding. are. We're so, so bold that we wanted to make somebody else do all the talking. Yes. Um, <laughs> which I did not plan when I got sick, by the way, y'all. This just happened to work out to where our lovely interviewee, Covers most of the talking, so you can still hear me, I'm hoping, by the end of the episode. Yes. No, exactly. I mean, it's so exciting. This is the official first recording of season two of the Calling All Spirits podcast. I mean, who knew we'd even get a season two? Right. I, I, I'm still blown away that we've been doing this a year now, and we're there are people interested in listening to us. Like... We we have enough people who care about what we're talking about to give you all a season two. Well, exactly. I mean, looking back when we first started, I'm like, well, my mom's listening. Occasionally, my husband listens. He still has missed a couple of episodes. I'm like, really, dude? <laughs> Joey's the same way. He he's not a consistent listener. He'll if we're in the car together when I'm listening, he'll listen and give me feedback. Yeah. But like, he he does not actively listen. To be fair, he doesn't listen to any podcasts really. So. I could feel worse about it, but nah. No, actually, my husband's the same way. He's like one of those only music people, but I'm like, could you give it a listen every now and then? So thank you to all of you for listening consistently to right? us. We would not be here without you. But then again, we started this podcast so our husbands didn't have to listen to us talk about this all the time. So I feel like they've listened enough over the years they can get a break. <laughs> That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Well, this is... Super exciting. So how, any life updates, anything to share before we jump in? Well, a big thing to share, we teased it a little bit at the end of the last season, but we have launched our Patreon. We are there for you to find us and you get to listen to bonus content like the show after the show. And honestly, the way today's episode got started, we may start with a blooper reel <laughs> because we both messed up so much. Um, but it's just... Super exciting that we have it. We're also going to be, I think the way Bree said she was going to post everything is we're going to have the regular episodes interspersed between the show after the show. So you can see where you are in the season before you're just like randomly listening to us babble about something. <laughs> that that would be helpful. <laughs> yeah, it keeps everything in order. And if you want to re-listen to the old episodes, you can listen to that and then flow straight into the show after the show. Oh, absolutely. And thank you so much to those that have already subscribed to patreon that is amazing yes i actually just realized we should thank our patreon yes because we should because we should so we have to thank our two patreons so our two patrons so far uh, we have grace who based on the money amount being listed in pounds um i think might be one of our british listeners 
And then we have Allison here in Texas, I believe, based on her comments. Uh, if y'all are interested in joining, it is $5 a month and you get all the content plus direct contact to us. If you want to message us directly, you can do the DMs through Patreon itself. And of course, we'd be happy to hear from you because... We tell you that at the end of every episode, but we want to hear from you. <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll be having special offers and special things just for our Patreon listeners coming up in the future. So super exciting. Absolutely. Otherwise, I haven't had a whole lot of big life things that have happened. Patreon and trying to get our season two underway has taken up the majority of January. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I agree. Like... Well, I well, I guess I can announce I'm doing readings full time now. So that has been a big change. I have left my old position and starting new. So that's exciting. But yeah, just kind of this new life and and figuring it out. But and also just getting ready for season two. It's all been wonderful. It's been a really great transition and having a nice break. But it's nice to be back. It is. It's very nice to be back. And um, to be fair, one of the things that I was doing this month was making contact with the person we're interviewing today. And I will I will brag. I got to see his collection in person and I will share some pictures on the socials because the pictures are amazing and there's no way to convey just how much spiritualism artifacts he has in his house. It is mind blowing. <gasps> Oh, absolutely. Like, I just, I'm like ready to just jump into talking to him because I'm getting to meet him for the first time, which is so exciting. And I've heard just the most amazing, incredible things. And I can't wait to see and learn more about his collection. Well, then I think we should just get to it because I'm excited to talk to him. Sounds great. Okay. Well, we are so excited because tonight we have Brandon Hodge who is a collector, author, researcher, and entrepreneur. He was always fascinated by the bizarre world of tipping tables, seances, and ghost hunts. Brandon has spent years researching spirit communication devices and the early history of the spiritualist movement. He added his first automatic writer to his shelves, a boxed EIH scientific planchette, and he has since amassed the world's finest collection of writing planchettes. Brandon currently lives in Austin, Texas, and by day he runs his stores Monkey See, Monkey Do and Big Top Candy Shop, and we are so excited you are here on the Calling All Spirits podcast. Thank Thank you you for joining us. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to talk with y'all. Oh, well, we are so excited, and we have to share because our listeners can't see this amazing collection behind you. It's, it's, I mean, there's, it's, it's Ouija boards and is it all spirit boards and Ouija boards? What all do you have on your wall? Yeah, so oh God, every, that would be a whole episode unto itself okay. if he went by everything by me. Okay, just yeah. a few. How about just Yeah, a few? Every, everything in the home. So just what you can see behind me, uh, we have a couple of very rare, we've got an original, uh, actual original production run Ouija board here next to a Volo board, which was produced by one of the company founders who was booted from the company, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that, yes. uh, and, and then produced uh, in violation of the patent that they had helped secure. Uh, we've got a spirit trumpet that's kind of lingering above me with some authentic 1940s era ectoplasm oozing out of it, as well as some uh, framed uh, talking board boxes, some old planchette advertisements, some patent documents, uh, some old spirit photography, 
Um, yeah, some old newspaper as every <laughs> wall of my home is is covered in a very maximalist uh, design style uh, with uh, framed art and artifacts from the spiritualist movement. I took so many pictures when he was nice enough to let me come visit with uh, <laughs> our spirit guide and another friend. And I will share all those pictures um, with y'all so that you can see them on our social medias because there is no way to convey verbally the amazing amount of just stuff that he has. It is so cool. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a few things yeah yeah <laughs> 20 plus years of of accumulation you know uh, i just try to stay on the right side of hoarders buried alive you know the i know uh, the minute those producers call me i've uh i've slipped into uh, the darkness so. it's all on the walls and none of it's on the floor accumulating dust so i think you're still okay well, you know, in, until a month ago, but yeah, yeah, let's, let's, <laughs> let's, stick, with, let's stick with that. No, great. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, could you please share? I'd love to know how you get got started and some of your background. Well, um, so I moved to Austin in 1996. I was always a weird kid. I was a little skater punk that was fascinated with, uh, with morbid curiosities and topics. And uh, when I moved to Austin, it was not only for music, but also also to continue the pursuit of my education, which ended up being a uh, I'm, I have two degrees in both uh, English literature and history, and so I was I was pursuing my degree in history in the late '90s and moved to Austin, transferred to University of Texas, started working at this funky little gift shop in a local mall that was called Lone Star Illusions, and. The thing about Lone Star Illusions, uh, amongst all its holograms and stereograms and lava lamps and this very Spencer's Gift sort of atmosphere, they had a magic counter. So they actually sold little dinky kids magic tricks. And I started to perform these tricks for, you know, I was the low, I was the new hire, the low guy on the ladder. And I, and, and everybody had to learn these and I didn't really care. Right. I was just like, just, I'll just stay here. Nobody else wanted to work the magic counter. And so I started learning all these tricks and I learned a bunch of card tricks. I started performing them. And within maybe my first year there, I was beginning to generate more revenue out of that magic case than the rest of the shop combined because I was I was performing those tricks. And uh, I got kind of I got pretty jaded with like card magic and and the sort of call out confrontational nature of modern day magic. And I began in about 97 to put together a haunted antiques show. So I began to acquire all of these legitimate antique artifacts from local thrift shops and flea markets and, and antique stores, and then, you know, gimmicking them in some way to produce some creepy effect. And then I was on the other side of my life using the actual research and 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 historical uh you know studies that i was uh performing to uh get my degree i began to sort of shift that interest over to modern american spiritualism and began harvesting real life historical stories and accounts of spirit communication in order to write the routines for that magic show so my first ouija and planchettes were acquired as props for that show and though I retired from performance and retired that haunted antiques routine in the late 90s, the research and collecting continued uh, and grew to what y'all have now seen as my home and 
sort of museum-like atmosphere and display here. Wow. That's amazing. It's been a long journey. It's been, and you know, a lot of research. I've literally, this topic has taken me all over the world, quite literally. I've lectured in the Netherlands and, and Europe and England and you know, not only talking about this stuff, but a lot of my personal travels are motivated by new discoveries and the documentation of lost artifacts that I've rediscovered and, and travel in order to document and for inclusion in my upcoming book. I, I was wondering, because I know on our podcast, we've talked a little bit about the early spiritualism history and kind of the Fox sisters. And But can you, I, I know you um, have a large collection of planchettes. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of, for our listeners, can we, can you kind of talk on those and what they were and how they right. were used? And so, you know, I don't need to get too deep. And I, I know y'all <laughs> covered the history of, of modern American spiritualism uh, more deeply in other podcasts. Uh, but, you know, just to, to sort of put a tack in it, we mm-hmm. do have yes. the advent of modern American spiritualism in uh, 1848. March 31st, 1848 is considered sort of the birthday of modern American spiritualism. It's not the birthday in a belief in the supernatural or spirits or ghosts or even communication with them, but it does mark a moment where the Fox sisters in their Hydesville, New York cottage begin to... Uh, experience this poltergeist-like activity of these strange knockings and rappings, and they establish communication with them, not only through a binary system of yes and no, you know, knock once for yes or twice for no. Their system was technically a little bit different than than that more simplistic method, Uh, but also alphabet calling, where you could call out the alphabet and the spirits would respond by knocking at the appropriate letter or number. And uh, so for in the first five years of spiritualism and the belief that the veil can be parted and you can communicate with the dead, you had to seek out a wrapping medium, a medium that would have mm. been in the, you know, cast from the same mold as uh, as one of the Fox sisters. Right. There were also automatic writing mediums who would go into a trance and their, their hands would move mysteriously under a seemingly uh, spiritual influence and write out messages, or you could go into a trance mediumship that actually harkened back to early mesmerism and animal magnetism, where they would go into a trance and could speak with the voices of the dead or see and communicate with the dead. And that really, those three forms of mediumship are your earliest modes of communication. But the important one for our purposes is alphabet calling, and in particular, how it intersects with wrapping mediumship. So you would call out the alphabet, A, B, C, D, D. Okay, someone write down D. A, <laughs> B, C, D, E, E. Okay, someone write down E. And you can see how laborious that was. Right. But you could, you know, through that <laughs> method, you could spell out words, phrases, sentences, paragraphs, and at that time, you have entire novels that are that are coming out uh, on the subject that are seemingly produced through seances and the spirits. And about five years in, you uh, two things coincide. One, people are getting very aggravated with the length of time that it takes to communicate through alphabet calling, which uh, one of my favorite accounts from 53 is Reverend Mattinson, who is a, a, a reverend and very scientifically minded uh, religious figure who publishes this book, Spirit Wrapping Unveiled, which... Uh, they did some some wrapping experiments, uh, writing out messages, and they can only get 240 characters an hour. 
And that's less than two tweets. You think about how exhausting that <laughs> wow. is. Wow. And yet the newspaper, wow. entire spiritualist newspapers coming out weekly that are claiming that they are entirely written by rapping communication. <laughs> they oh, must wow. have literally been doing nothing else. Yes, taking right, right. day and night. Day. Multiple <laughs> monkeys at multiple typewriters. <laughs> exactly. Yes. But so you have people trying to expedite these means, and there's a concurrent discovery with this frustration, and that is table tipping. So in the 18, early 1850s, 1852, 1853, spiritualists begin to discover that the tables are moving mysteriously under their waiting fingertips. And this is the same phenomenon that any modern listener will recognize as, you know, the, the planchettes movement on top of a Ouija board. Are you moving it? No, I'm not moving it. Are you moving it? I think you're doing it. No, I'm not doing it. And, um, but that action, although we're used to it with a Ouija board planchette, used to that depiction, it can take place with all manner of furniture, including kitchen tables, pianos, dining, you know, dining stools, um, piano stools, all top hats, another popular variation. <laughs> it, that movement can be applied to any inanimate object. And what begins as, oh my God, the, the, the table moved, the spirits must have moved it, or that chair got knocked over, <laughs> begins to turn into the spirits are moving the table through us. And in 1853, news of this spreads very quickly, like wildfire across America and even into Europe. We can actually trace the exact mode of communication from America to Europe in a letter that a New York immigrant, a German immigrant in New York, writes to his sister in Bremen, Germany, and says, we're doing these crazy seances. We're putting our hands on the table. We don't need a wrapping medium anymore. You can do it yourself in the comfort of your own home. If you're just patient and you wait, the table will begin to move mysteriously. You can ask it yes or no questions and ask it to wrap out, you know, move its, its leg and wrap mm -hmm. out yes or no, or you can call out the alphabet to it. And so that it creates this worldwide craze. There's literally comic depictions of people on multiple continents that all have their hands on the table. And that's the summer of 1853, five years into the movement, it becomes this worldwide fad. Mm -hmm. And from that sprouts everything you see in my <laughs> home is basically what happens in 1853 from... <laughs> Uh, from spirit trumpets uh, uh -huh. uh, coming out of Coon's spirit room in the 1850s uh, to all of these alphabetic spelling devices that are created in order to expedite those communications. Mm -hmm. You have in Germany, you have Albertus Wagner, I'm sorry, Adolphus Wagner produces his, uh, what, what he calls his psychograph or a method for nervous communication or, or communication with the nervous system. And uh, it's this crazy, these crazy slats that everyone would place their hands on these nodules and this crazy like pantograph movement, they called it the Stork's Bill or Crane's Bill movement would point to letters on a card. Oh and uh, Daniel Ornig comes along and creates the most popular devices of this era were these tabletop devices that actually harness the movement of the table. So Daniel Hornug creates a competing device 
that you would screw onto the side of your table and it had this weighted disc inside a wooden framework. And as your table tipped back and forth, the disc would rotate to these randomized letters and a viewer would look in this little window and write down the results. In America, oh yeah, I, it's it's bonkers. And all <laughs> this happens, and it's hard for me to get it out in one breath, yeah. right? Because it all <laughs> happens so concurrently. And it's, it can be a little tough to research and write about because you're like, how do I put all this in sequence when it's all happening at once? Right, of course. Um, in America, you have Isaac Pisa's spiritual telegraph dial, which again, a tabletop mm -hmm. device, it's a little cigar box with an alphabet dial and a little clock hand. And as the table tips back and forth, the clock hand revolves around the dial, pointing out to letters, numbers, and phrases to spell out everything from spirits, uh, messages from the dead to music notation. In the midst of all this, on June 10th, 1853, a Paris seance group uh, are told by the spirits uh, under their command to attach a pencil to a table that is using so to see if the table can write. And if you can imagine the predictab predictably disastrous results from tying a number two pencil to your dining room table and, and trying to write with one leg out of it. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> and, um, and so the, the, the spirits basically command, you know, no, you idiots, go to the next <laughs> room, fetch a basket from the mantle and, and attach the pencil to that and place your hands upon it and I will write for you. And that really is the birth of the automatic writing plan shed. It begins as bas writing baskets, we call them, and then uh, it will morph into boards that local artisans begin to produce in order to produce spirit writing. So when the dining room table fails, you switch to a basket. <laughs> That's right. And then a, and then a board, <laughs> a little board, a planchette. So you know, giving, giving the boards their name. And those will sort of, They'll, they'll have sort of a something of a popularity among spiritualists for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll be well regarded enough, particularly in Europe and uh, and the UK. And they even get we, we get sort of a sample of them in 1859 when Robert Dale Owen and Dr. H.F. Gardner bring six examples of them from France and have a Boston oh. bookseller make some copies but they don't go anywhere. It's not until after the Civil War, 1868, mm -hmm. that writing planchettes have a massive explosion of popularity, thanks to mm -hmm. kind of some viral articles uh, and uh, some clever stationers who will produce them and they'll just become a massive hit. And the, the, the second great fad of do-it-yourself spirit communication. Wow. That was amazing. I, I feel like I thought I knew about this and I'm just like, okay, I just learned so much. <laughs> right? Like, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I know nothing. <laughs> I know. That's Talking incredible. to him is awesome because like you have just enough information in your brain to be able to put things in the right place as he talks, but right. then it's just a deluge of new information. <laughs> That's how I roll. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I don't know, Caitlin, I, I feel like I'm hogging questions. So if you have a question... But I have very little voice. Hog all the questions you want. Well, I think, and maybe my maybe the listeners did too. I always kind of thought the planchette, I knew it was around a little bit before, but I always just put it with a Ouija board. Like I never right. think of it. So how did how so the planchette came before and then the Ouija board that 
that I'd love to learn about how they kind of got put together or how that came about. Well, they, yeah, they came not just before, but long before. So just wow. to put this in, in context, mm -hmm. the planchettes invented in 1853, you know, mm -hmm. 37 years before the advent of the Ouija board, and then has a massive popularity in 1868. And just to put that in context, because uh -huh. We'll see the cycle repeated. The Ouija will be the the next, you know, spoiler alert, will be the next <laughs> success in, in this sort of commercial endeavor. But what happens is spiritualists have been sort of quietly using these automatic writing devices for mm -hmm. 15 years. And to explain these, to, to, to describe these to listeners, the planchette is familiar in form to what you would, you would recognize as a Ouija indicator. Mm -hmm. uh, but rather than the little window, it's it's a little larger. It's typically heart-shaped or shield-shaped. Mm -hmm. And they're typically about eight inches long as opposed to five inches long. And they have two typically intricate casters on the back lobes of the heart underneath this board. And at the point, rather than having a third wheel, there's a pencil that would be attached to the front of the board, typically a little mm -hmm. thumb screw to, to secure it in place. And rather than pointing out to the alphabet, on a board, they would write out messages through the pencil that acted as a third leg. Right. So you put it on a big piece of butcher paper, like the tables before <laughs> it and the Ouija after it, you would place your fingers on it. It would begin to move mysteriously, but it would script out writing. And the fact that it takes so long to get to the Ouija, which generically is known as the talking board, is what I've called the right. curious leapfrog. It's like, there's already the conception to point to letters. Mm -hmm. So not only do you have these early alphabetic spelling devices, and it's, you know, Adolphus Wagner's psychograph, Daniel Ornug's Emanuelector, Isaac Pisa's spiritual telegraph dial, mm -hmm. they're already trying to point to letters. Also, mm -hmm. another phenomenon in seance is that, you know, when you start looking at these things specifically, you, you begin to understand just how common they were used in seances. It's just an alphabet card. Literally, yeah. they are described in the exact same way we would recognize Ouija. Like, oh yeah, write two rows of, of letters, <laughs> put the numbers underneath <laughs> it, put a yes and no in each corner, wow. and just use a pencil. And, and to begin with, they would point to the alphabet and wait for the wraps to indicate mm -hmm. all that. But then, I mean, as early as 1854, 1855, you have descriptions of people kind of going into a trance or like, I don't, I don't know what my hand is doing. It's moving on its own mm -hmm. and pausing at letters. It's a talking board at, at the same time, the planchette's being invented, but we don't see talking boards come around until the 1880s, 1890s. Wow. And so they are trying to point to the alphabet, mm -hmm. but they take this weird evolutionary side road toward a refinement of automatic writing mediumship rather than alphabetic mediumship. And uh, it's the dominant form of mechanical spirit communication for many years. Although you do have people that are pairing them with the alphabet, particularly mm. in the spiritualist realm, you have people that are like, hey, I can't read what this thing is writing. <laughs> I, 
I, you know, I made this little <laughs> device and you have a lot of accounts, the LK table in 1876. Uh, you've got James Burns doing stuff with alphabet cards in the 1870s. You definitely have, particularly in the wake of the great planchette craze in, in mm -hmm. 1868, you do have people that begin to pair them with the alphabet, but it's mm -hmm. not quite to that popular commercial form that's going to have that that popular breakthrough that we see with with the planchette in 1868. Wow. I, I had no idea there's that many years in between them. That kind of blows my mind. <laughs> wow. It takes a long time. And what's funny, it's it's the Ouija comes along mm -hmm. really at the right time. But the fact that the Ouija remains even a protected trademark is is one of the most fascinating aspects of the history of spirit communication apparatus uh, one thing that the planchette did not have was patent protections because mm -hmm. it was just this idea now you did have people once it hits america and it's very quintessentially american right <laughs> that, um, <laughs> that this european idea in common generic use in Europe, in England, hits American shores and booksellers and stationers begin fighting with one another over propriety and who did it first. <laughs> over an idea that none of them had anything to do with. Mm -hmm. And it's just so quintessentially American. I mean, they, there's drama, there's newspaper <laughs> sniping, there's, you know, there's, you know, all that people are trying to undercut one another. And it's it's just a, to me, it's one of the more fascinating aspects of that, because at least once you do get to the Ouija, which, you know, I know we're going to, you know, probably talk about more yes. in a part two, once you do get to the Ouija, at least there is some patent protection there. But spoiler alert, the Ouija was a generic idea taken from spiritualists too, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Like I, I am so tempted. It's like, Oh, I want to jump to Ouija. That is, <laughs> but wow. so, so, but to really contrast that difference. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what does happen again, 1853, the planchette gets invented in Paris, 1854. We know that local cabinet makers and carpenters are producing mm -hmm. a commercial form of the devices. The ads are very, very scarce, but they are talked about in the newspapers there. Uh, they make their way Within a few years into England, there's a beginning in at least, uh, you know, the mid 1850s, Thomas Welton is producing them largely for the mesmeric and spiritualist trade. Oh. And then again, there's this weird false start in America where they're brought over in 1859. And by 1860, a Boston bookseller makes a few dozen copies of a European specimen and they don't go anywhere. They just languish. Oh on their shelves. But in 1867, the end of the year, there is an article that for from our modern perspective goes viral. It's originally published in the once a week uh, uh, weekly journal in the UK and Great Britain. And it's this sort of sensational, no, not sort of, it's a very sensational story of an American tourist visiting Scotland and brings along some English friends. And it's this account of the seances they have with an automatic writing planchette that he brings along with them. 
Wow. And, uh, and, you know, the communications they get from it. This article gets reprinted. It gets a considerable amount of user inquiry in the UK where, you know, there is some communication of like, hey, Thomas Welton makes them. And, you know, these, the, you know, these other guys make them over here. Elliott Brothers, famous scientific instrument makers are making them. And uh, so, you know, go get them there. When mm -hmm. this article gets picked up by American publishers who reprint British articles, it explodes in America. And the so by mid-1868, stationers, which are, you know, booksellers, but also, mm -hmm. you know, sold writing implements and everything uh, are, this is a day before toy stores. And, mm -hmm. you know, even in an age where, you know, game boards, the gaming industry has not quite caught on. And so the industry that picks up the manufacture and production and promotion of these devices is the bookseller trade, the stationer trade. And they begin to produce these wheeled boards based on the descriptions of these um, of these European of this European viral newspaper story. But yeah, it's quintessentially American that they all do it nearly simultaneously. But the people who do it before the other people do it begin to, you know, squabble over you stole our idea, and <laughs> it's in the newspapers. Like literally like six <laughs> weeks ago, it was in the newspaper. You know, what, what are you arguing about? You know, and it's, and I, but I love it. It creates this yeah. high drama that's incredibly fun to research and, and document. Commercialism at its best. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah, that thing I didn't even think of is mine. <laughs> the idea I stole from somebody else, you're stealing it from me. How dare you? But you get these weird idiosyncrasies. So, and and Caitlin, when you visited, this is, you know, one of those instances where I, I would definitely have pulled something off the shelf. You have this guy from Portland, Maine, named C.H. Farley. He owns a scientific instrument, like he makes like navigation equipment, like brass navigation, you know, sextants and stuff. And he, and he admits in the newspaper I saw one of these from a Montreal businessman who brought one from Canada into US. So again, he admits in his newspaper oh interviews that he's merely copying something that he saw from this Montreal guy who brought one into his town. It creates a local stir. He begins to produce them and he produces them for this event in April called the Cretan Fair, which was an Easter weekend event to support a, a, uh, an insurrection overseas in Europe. He produces them for his local craft table as a fundraiser. And they don't sell, it's in Boston. They don't sell very well. And he kind of begrudges this. He talks about how he went to all these booksellers and nobody wanted to pick up the idea. Nearly simultaneously to him doing that, there's this New York firm called Kirby and Company that begins to advertise planchette boards. Kirby and Company will eventually partner with him and they will become kings of the planchette trade. And they are the ones that most vehemently defend their rights. They, they print <laughs> patent applied for or patent secured on their Wow. Bullshit. They, <laughs> there is no evidence that they ever applied for or secured any patent. And they're literally stamping it with, with they're stamping it into the wood of their planchette. Patent secured. <laughs> no, there's no evidence that, that they ever had a secured patent or even applied for one. 
but they take to the newspapers. Oh, you know, all these people are copying us. Well, the industry does copy them very quickly. But again, they're copying an idea that's been promoted in the papers mere weeks before. And it's continuing to be reprinted wow. all the country during this period. They do that. So this other guy who's in Boston strikes upon a fine idea. Whether he's the original bookseller that produced those 1860 planchettes or not is unknown, but he does have one on display in his Boston bookstore. And so he copies it. He produces it as he calls it the, uh, it's G.W. Uh, Cottrell. He produces it as the Boston planchette. And he puts on the label, made from the original pattern since 1860. Oh. He doesn't advertise these until October. So he's like six months too late. But oh. he uses that as a way to say, no, screw you. I've got one that predates what you were doing. And it's, it's glorious. It's just glorious, you know. Oh, wow. There was such a battle over the planchette. I mean, oh, totally. It's, it's incredible. So, I mean, did most people, I know like spirit, we, we obviously know spiritualism was so big and people, but is this like something common that most people would have like just in well, their home during this time? That's, so that is the difference in the 1868 post-Civil mm -hmm. War craze. What went on in that 15 years between mm -hmm. their invention? They were a cottage industry among spiritualists. Like the table tipping phenomenon of 1850. Mm -hmm. This was a popular fad that transcended spiritualism okay. and spiritualist belief. Mm. A lot of planchette manufacturers did not even promote the fact that they were spirit communication apparatus. It was, you know, they were called thought indicators in many instances. They were, um, oh. you know, they'll reveal your innermost thoughts, uh, you know, or psychic impressions or mesmeric influence or whatever the case may be. So, when they, you know, they are sort of ripped from the realm of true belief as mm -hmm. spirit communication devices and then promoted more vaguely as uh, home entertainment. The board that talks, you know, mm -hmm. that says, and in that way, they become a popular fad that we would recognize as, you know, the yo-yo, the hula hoop, the cabbage patch, cabbage patch kids, you know, wow. um, they were planchettes very quickly become a, a household item. So they were pitching it as a way to get in touch with like your inner thoughts rather than as a spirit communication device. Right. That is so bizarre to think of. Yeah. Because we have it so tightly tied to it. I mean, compliments of its use of the board. It's right. so intertwined with it with us today that that would never occur to me to use it for anything else. But I am going to laugh at the fact that you said Planchette says. That sounds like the most dangerous version of Simon Says ever. <laughs> yep. That's, and that's Jackson's son. They begin producing Planchettes in, in the 1870s. One of Britain's preeminent toy makers. Toy makers to the queen. The toy company responsible for giving us the modern form of the chess piece. Uh, the, the, oh. the Stalton design. I, I can't remember right off hand, but yeah, the uh, you know what we envision as modern chess pieces. The company that that popularized the modern form of the chess piece also uh, produced planchettes, and yeah, planchette says was how they decorated many of their boxes and everything. <laughs> 
So yeah, the the creepier version of Simon Says. Yeah. <laughs> when you have major toy manufacturers making these things, really mm -hmm. blended an air of credibility, and that's what a right. lot of stationers were after. They knew that they were reproducing, uh, you know, a, an item that you know purportedly was for spirit communication. Mm -hmm. Some of them did lean into that, but others just wanted to be as vague and general as possible in order to sell as many. They didn't want to turn off any religious sorts. So, wow. That, that is fascinating. <laughs> I'm like, Caitlin, I would have never thought that. Now, I, I, this is, I saw this question. I'm like, oh, I have to ask. But, or when I was thinking about it, okay, how does it, like, I know people are always like, how does it work? Like, how does it move? And I'm like, that, I mean, is there science behind it? Like, how does it actually work? Or is it just people and their subconscious? Well, so, so there are, are of course, Many if it's not the theories, spirit, sorry, but, but, I should right, put right. that out there. But yeah, yeah. So you know, the you know, the belief is that it would be spiritual influence. Right. The spirits are right. subtly the same way they could produce knocks in the physical world, or even mm -hmm. manifest themselves for spirit photography uh, mm -hmm. or in seances. Uh, they they were able to either nudge the mm -hmm. um, the planchette, you know, subtly in a way. And one of my favorite depictions actually has a an angel has a ribbon wrapped around. <laughs> The planchette's pencil and it's sort of like tugging it you know like <laughs> oh. the, the writing or for the more scientifically minded right. uh, and the skeptics it's what we now term as ideomotor response which was recognized oh. by scientists very early in the 1850s mm -hmm. as a response to table tipping phenomenon mm -hmm. uh and and that is what we determine is unconscious muscular movement mm -hmm. so our fingers are on it uh and it, it it is an eerie phenomenon in that it does not feel as if you are contributing to the movements of those, but multiple people can place their hands on a on a planchette, whether it be for a Ouija board or a writing planchette. Mm -hmm. None of them will feel as if they are contributing to the movement of it, but you are, you know, very subtly nudging it along. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of it is up to our uh subconscious to to put all the pieces together and, and write out these messages. Uh you know, in which case the you know the name thought indicator starts to you know make a lot of sense for some of those early yeah. I mean no I think it's a change and I personally like to think it's spirits but even if you are like a medium I could see you even if it's your subconscious you're still maybe channeling the spirits while you're doing it so well but, and you know that was a that was a big selling point for a lot of this was you mm -hmm. know be a medium in your own home you know no mm -hmm. longer you need to go you know particularly yeah. in the 1870s 1880s when mediums and spiritualism are are experiencing incredible upheavals mm -hmm. in and challenges to their belief with the mm -hmm. exposures of materializing mediums where right. you, know, you you literally have people coming out of the seance cabinet, you know, draped in luminous cloth and then yes. people, you know, striking matches and finding out it was just the medium dressed up and everything. You right. have challenges to belief and a mm -hmm. distrust of mm -hmm. sort of spiritualist community but hey you know boy the table moving or the planchette moving or the ouija yeah. communicating sure seems convincing because i know i'm not moving it and i right. trust you and i know you're not moving it either yeah wow no that's really interesting well i have to ask because i haven't gotten to see them all but how many planchettes do you have in your collection now i'm so curious i 
So automatic writing planchettes, I probably have close to 200 now. Wow. Uh, I began collecting those in a day. Uh, you know, there's always been a very competitive Ouija and talking board market. Mm -hmm. But when I really started concentrating on these things, they were they were really ignored by mm -hmm. the community. For, I mean, for, for better or for worse, they just mm -hmm. weren't the same. They were, right. you know, they were these writing devices. Typically, collectors might have one or two in their collection to sort of show this, you know, prehistory, this precursor predecessor device, but they really called to me. I, I liked the, the attachment and that sort of immediate intimacy of the mm -hmm. production of writing and, and spirit writing that, that was involved with them. And so, you know, I spent years just kind of getting these things largely uncontested through online wow. auctions and, and antique stores and, you know, wherever I could acquire them. And so, uh, you know, then in 2012, debuted my mysteriousplanchette.com website and shot myself mm -hmm. in the foot and, you know, helped make them cool and create my <laughs> own cup competition. But, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, no, exactly. Well, can I, I, I'm just fascinated by your collection. What is, I, how, what's the oldest one you have? Like how? Well, as far as writing planchettes, I have one that I believe dates from the UK. I can't quite put all the pieces in place, but I believe it's a Thomas Welton. And so wow. that would date it before the, the great American craze. It's super old and gnarly and has a lot of, of indicators that, that uh, it might be from the 1850s or early 1860s. Um, I have quite a bit of, of, of planchettes and the core of my collection is planchettes from the 1868 craze. And then later the 1903 craze, which oddly enough, the talking board and Ouija do not, get picked up well in London uh, and in, in Britain. And uh -huh. in 1903, uh, there's a famous trial where the sort of rich playboy Cavendish uh, gets uh, one pulled over on him by a pair of planchette mediums who are using the planchette to communicate and tell him, you should give us power of attorney over your fortune. And oh it's it, it, it headline news. And creates a a, a a a a successor craze in England. So so largely my my planchette collection comes from either the 1868 American craze or the 1903 British craze. Wow. Um, but specifically to answer your question, my my oldest artifact does go further back than that. Uh, I have on prominent display here in, in the collection the Dr. Robert Hare Spiritoscope which were uh, invented, produced in 1855 by a prominent American chemist named Dr. Robert Hare, who initially set out to disprove spiritualism in the wake of table tipping's popularity. Mm. And he did so by creating these test devices, which were alphabetic spelling devices. Uh, in the case of the, the surviving artifact I have, it's it's set at a 90 degree angle. You have this baseboard, a wheeled baseboard, and perpendicular to it is this round cast iron plate with the alphabet and some phrases around it. 
and uh, the medium would sit behind it where she couldn't see the dial, place her hands on the platform in front of it and roll it back and forth, presumably unable to see what it was spelling out. Uh -huh. And um, Dr. Robert Hare conducted a series of tests with this, um, with this instrument. So literally some of the most famous mediums of the day, including Kate Fox, have had their hands on this instrument as a test device. And uh, the results that he gets from it actually convince him that spiritualism is legitimate and he goes public. Uh, and this is the equivalent of like Carl Sagan or, you know, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson going forward saying, well, we ran a bunch of tests and did all the math and it turns out heaven is for real and, and uh, you know, we've, we, we can prove it. And that was the significance of Dr. Robert Hare. And one of those, he called these devices spiritoscopes. And uh, one of those survived in the modern day. And I acquired it in, in I think, uh, 2012. And so that's, uh, that's on prominent display here. And it uh, oh predates any spirit communication apparatus in any collection, public or private, by about 15 years. Wow. I've like got chills. <laughs> That's amazing. I it, mean, it, it, yeah, it's really an American artifact. Like that's a kind of a Smithsonian worthy kind of thing. And, you know, in fact, the Smithsonian actually had one of the first editions they ever did. The original collection was the Dr. Robert Hare wing of scientific ephemera and apparatus. Cause he was a, he was the most well-known American scientist of his age. And they, they, you know, gave this guy his own wing to preserve all his scientific apparatus. It was destroyed by fire, unfortunately, uh, early in the oh. museum history. Uh, so it is a rare surviving artifact from from uh, from his his laboratory. Oh my gosh, that's that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. When I was this not in the exhibit that burned down and it was just like separated somehow, and so it, it was, was not. not yeah. So he donated all of his lab equipment when he retired but his retirement endeavor was debunking spiritualism oh uh, okay so so is that this device was created after he had donated all of all of the, the science apparatus yeah wow that's incredible well, I was going to ask you what your most unique piece was in your collection or what your favorite I don't know if that's it or if you have something else well i mean that that obviously a consensus <laughs> often get asked you know what would you save in a fire and i'm like i got two hands i can carry a lot of stuff you know <laughs> two hands and some forearms uh but you know i would say one of my uh, i really enjoy looking at my collection of tuttle psychographs which are mm -hmm. were produced from uh, 1887 to 1916 mm -hmm. and uh how in the world they become the Ouija board uh, instead of the Ouija is beyond me. They are these uh, square, uh, square boards about nine inches in in, uh, uh, in diameter uh, with with a little rotating disc in the middle that points to the the alphabet. And they're they're self contained. They were made for spiritualists by a spiritualist. I, I love those, and I have multiple. I think I've got five of those. Uh, now and they were incredibly rare, but they just came to seem to keep falling in my lap. Um, but so I really <laughs> love those apparatus. But 
but also I have a pair of planchettes. So I have many mm -hmm. Kirby and company planchettes. So these were mm -hmm. the, this was the predominant producers. They produced uh, reports say about 200,000 planchettes in during the 1868 craze. Uh, I have several of their wooden boards. They produced three models of wood boards, but they also produced two very special uh, constructions. And uh, one, their number three was called the India rubber planchette, which is a, really the second commercialized form of American plastic, which was called ebonite. And mm -hmm. so it's this very glossy, all black uh, planchette, heart-shaped planchette that, that I really adore. And then their number four planchette was made of plate glass. And uh, it has incredible brass hardware, all engraved, ivory wheels, and you can see right through it. So for me, it's really sort of the penultimate automatic writing device. You know, I can't imagine many of those survived in the modern day, and it's the only one I've ever, both of those are the only ones I've I've ever seen in any collection or, or auction for that matter. So those two, uh, you know, also hold a special place in, in my heart and in my hands in the event of fire. <laughs> <laughs> no, that I, I can understand why that's amazing. Wow. I, I already feel like, cause I know we're coming up to time. I'm like, we're going to definitely have to have a part two, like, cause I've already like, I've already got more questions and we have to talk about the Ouija board yeah, and how it yeah. came about in the future. Absolutely. This is just amazing. I would love to come see the collection one day. Open invitation <laughs> anytime. We're ready. Oh, yes. He you. absolutely has the greatest collection that I've ever seen. <laughs> and honestly, um, now just now remind me, because you've seen the board more recently. The uh the Ouija board that we both used to not quite fight over. <laughs> the back, does it have two stilts or does it have four little feet? Two stilts, I think. Okay, then I remembered wrong and Brandon was right. Cool. I, I, I don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure that's how I remember it was two stilts. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen it in three years, so I don't remember. Yeah, um, that, yeah she showed me the picture. That is an original Kennard Novelty Company production Ouija. That's, if you look on the back, you'll see a a, a patent stamp, a legitimate patent stamp <laughs> on that one. Oh my gosh. He I has know. one that looks a lot like it on his wall right next to the fireplace hearth. It was amazing. Oh, I want that board so badly. I would bring it home in a heartbeat if I could. Yeah, that's a good one. It, it is. I, I I found one with in an antique store. I usually sometimes I'll see ones from like the 30s and 40s, but I've never right. seen one like one of the older ones. I'm sure they're really hard to find now. Or if you, if you want to spend a little money, I'll I'll send I'll send you in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, that's the other. No, it's not quite too. a mortgage payment. Not quite <laughs> a percentage of your mortgage. It might be easier, like he said, even though he created his own competition for them, getting a planchette might be easier. That that may be easier. I keep going to estate uh -huh. sales hoping one day somebody's going to have one and not realize what they have. Well, you know, and and I, I would argue, no, the, the planchette's definitely harder. An entire, right. you know, two generations removed uh, from mm -hmm. planchettes, not to mention them showing up in the modern market. And as as many as were produced for that craze, it pales in comparison to the number of, of wow. Ouija and talking boards produced. And, uh, you know, for uh, for all the planchettes I have, I, I think my, you know, I, thinking of, of some of my collector pals that uh, have some planchettes, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't think they 
they have more than than 10 each wow and uh and so yeah there's there in fact i've acquired two planchettes in 2022 i only acquired two or three new planchettes in 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 the entire year Um, oh gee only two or three of the thing that we can't find anywhere but but but, you know when you think of how many i have Mm -hmm. and you know at at that was one time in the 2010s you know where i i had something going every week i mean i had oh i gotta get this one and i gotta get this one and like it's just like they have just vanished and that's a generational thing you also hear that with board game collectors Mm-hmm. And an- another uh, overlapping segment is Victorian clothing collectors, mm. where the supplies, because it's a generational thing, literally as generations are dying off and mm-hmm. relinquishing these items, um, you know, th- there's a there's a there's a generational threshold where they pass through two fam, you know, two generations, but not to a third and so when are those generations unloading the previous generation's items and we've passed that threshold Mm -hmm. and it's something that many collectors in several different categories and Mm -hmm. you know uh sort of sort of witnessed and talking boards have reached and might be passing that that same threshold Mm -hmm. uh you know when you when you get to earlier talking boards and then stuff into the 1920s and 30s uh where there's just not as many available you know whether you want to buy them or not there's just Mm -hmm. uh not as many of the old old rare stuff you know was lord knows in the early 2000s and 2010s i mean god collectors were just we were oh my god look at this oh my god look at this oh my god look at this it's not like that anymore it's wow it's, it's crazy. oh caitlin we missed it <laughs> we missed the big window <laughs> no oh. it just means you have to wait for the next round yeah there yeah. we go <laughs> i just yeah yeah, yeah you looking. wait but then it's it's you know it's uh yeah it, it's a funny thing because uh you know now there's more collectors they're hungrier and they're mm-hmm. willing to spend more for yeah. an increasingly rare commodity so yeah for yeah. that reason we've seen prices uh you know, bump up significantly in, in recent years. Absolutely. Uh, no, yes. I, I always look on eBay and I'll get excited and be like, nope, can't afford that. <laughs> like, just forget it. <laughs> <laughs> but wow. Well, I, I cannot thank you enough. This has been amazing. And yes, we will, we will get together and schedule a part two. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. We'll get into the talking board and everything that entails. Absolutely. Yes. And in the meantime, we definitely also have to find a way to get Jess to your house to check out your collection. She Thank will you. she will probably pass out because I almost did. It was amazing. <laughs> hey, I can bring my little boy. He's into all this. Uh, totally. Like- yep. 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 Well, he'll, he'll leave possessed, you know, <laughs> for better or for worse. Might be an improvement. Who knows? Well, I don't know. I don't know your kid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's got the Ghostbusters addiction already. We might as well give him something new to fix yeah, it well, on. He, he might get possessed by a friendly ghost. Well, there we go. There we go. I mean, this is true. He does love Ghostbusters, Caspers. He's already into kind of the spooky. So we'll just continue it. It'll be fun. My, my kids, no, I've got two and they don't even blink an eye. Like, <laughs> exactly. I don't think he'd be phased at all. <laughs> well, it was a pleasure to meet you. And um, 
Thank you so much. Oh, and how can people find you if they want to find you and follow you? Where's the best place for them to go? Right. Um, so there's a few avenues on social media. Uh, my handle is at Mysterious Planchette, uh, all one word, no funky punctuation. Uh, my Instagram is probably the most prolific uh, social media. Uh, as well as I do have an author page of Brandon Hodge, Mysterious Planchette on Facebook that repeats a lot of that. More recently, uh, I do have a TikTok account under that, but more recently I partnered with my friend Brandy Knight, um, who is a fortune telling collector, and uh, in uh, through the first half of 2022 had a pretty prolific TikTok uh, called, uh, which was at Occult Archaeology, all one word. And uh, we did a lot of, you know, the short form TikTok videos on the history of various devices and everything. And so those are a lot of fun. We, it turned out content creation was maybe, you know, daily content creation was not our thing, but we produced a, a nice body of work on there that's uh, free for the viewing. And uh, so, you know, for the TikTokers out there and just in general, my website, mysteriousplanchette.com is, is sort of the repository online, uh, you know, sort of storehouse for all of uh, my my research and, and photographs of, of collectibles and everything. And uh, yeah, and before too long, I'll have a book on this out. As Caitlin knows, I've been, uh, I'm uh, 10 of 14 chapters down. Uh, I've got four chapters to go on a massive 500 plus page coffee table book, 1500 illustrations, like a very visually dense, historically- Informed. exhaustive let's say exhaustive <laughs> there you go yeah. uh academic study of well no i don't want to say academic study because it's not that sort of thing i'm not trying to prove a point it's just a pure history book you know written chronologically that talks about the evolution history of these devices and uh it's it will have stuff i've documented from all over the world and spent years decades now researching and uh it's on the precipice i should be turning that thing over probably by summer and uh, be out before too long so Oh my we are so I'm so excited to see it when it's done. Oh, me too. I was like, you're gonna sell at least two copies, and I'm sure a ton. You're not more, wanna, but... you're not gonna want to carry it in from the front porch. <laughs> uh, you're gonna you're gonna pull a muscle. It's it's gonna be a it's gonna be a big work, but yeah. yeah. Oh well, great. We'll get the dolly. Like... We'll make it easy to like just exactly. leverage it up, and we'll wheel it into the house. Right. Absolutely. Oh, I can't wait. That is gonna be fabulous. Well, thank you again. My pleasure. We'll do it again soon. Absolutely. Great. <laughs> All right. Take Bye. care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, you know the rules, you know, just go ahead and do us the favor of appeasing the podcast gods and leaving us ratings and reviews wherever you're listening to the podcasts. And, you know, check out our Patreon if that interests you. And of course, wherever you're listening to us, hit subscribe so you know when we release new episodes. Also, we want to hear from you, so let us know what you thought about this episode, and if there are any other spirited topics you want us to explore in future episodes after this conversation. I can already think of several. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Calling All Spirits Pod, or you can always email us at CallingAllSpiritsPod at gmail.com. And if you're feeling lucky, you can try to get Brandon's planchettes to move and send us a message via him but it's probably going to be easier to just use the email. <laughs> I agree. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.